Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. Am I on? Is that working? That's working. Wow, thank you. But weren't the band brilliant? God is good. Even on Good Friday when it didn't look like it. God is good. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been to a rugby match with that man? I have. Father, thank you for Resurrection Sunday. Thank you for all you unfolded for us this day. Thank you, Jesus, that you wrote the new covenant in your own blood. Wow. Thank you, you opened all of heaven up to us this day. And all the pain in the world was worth it to you. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Thank you for the amazing celebration of Resurrection Sunday. Bless you, Jesus. Bless you, Father. Bless you, Spirit. For today. Amen. Mark's just told me that this morning he's seen wide open spaces for every one of us. So if you hear nothing else and you just want to sit back, close your eyes and free associate with Holy Spirit and find your own wide open space or spaces, feel free. Whoa. Easter was a game changer. It was the ultimate game changer. There were a few, the full was quite a game changer. The flood, the exile, the return from exile, entering the promised land. John the Baptist, the greatest man who ever lived up to that point. Whoa. He was a game changer. There were many more. England winning the World Cup in 1966. That was a bit of a game changer. 
But Easter was the ultimate one. But how? It's great to celebrate it because it's definitely worthy of celebration. But what does it mean individually? What does that game change look, look like for me? Not, I don't mean David Vickers, I mean personalize it for each one of us individually. What does that game change look like for me? God, as I was putting this together, was talking to me about seeing life everywhere, all the time, in everything. Seeing life where we wouldn't normally see life, we'd see something else, some shade of death, because that's the only other choice, isn't it? There's either life or death. And Jesus always chose life, always saw life, always brought out life. And so often we find we don't do that. King David, a man after God's own heart. Yes, God knew about Bathsheba and Uriah and the census. Very bad things. But he was a friend of God because he sought God's heart. Always. Solomon, the wisest, richest man ever on the planet, God was furious with Solomon for abandoning the God of Israel. The God who had twice appeared to him so clearly commanded him not to fool around with other gods. Solomon faithlessly disobeyed God's orders. God gave him absolutely everything. And he wasn't a man after God's own heart. Moses cocked it up. Took some glory when he shouldn't have done but died a friend of God because his whole heart was to do what he saw his father doing. Ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed, God has been trying to get us to see life completely, totally, wholly from his perspective. And we don't. He is so acutely aware that if we could see every person, every circumstance, every individual, every happening, every moment, the way he sees them all, oh, how much sweeter life would be. I'm not saying the pain and the misery and all of that wouldn't go away. It's just how we are in all of that stuff changes us and the stuff. <coughs> He sent message after message and messenger after messenger. And then he sent Jesus. <clears throat> he wants to change our viewpoint to be the same one Jesus had. A heavenly one. Jesus saw a woman with an incurable bleed. And he healed her. A lame man, a deaf man, a leprous man, an insane man, a demon-possessed man. He healed them all. He saw an unpayable bill and found the money in a fish. <laughs> he was never perplexed by the situation. He was never intimidated by a person or circumstance into making a bad or a wrong choice. Even when going, undergoing a trumped-up trial, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. How 
I am his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. Heavenly perspective on his identity. It's great for Jesus. What about me? If he came to show me how to do life, how do I do life? He didn't come to show me what it should look like. He came to show me how I can do life. So how does this great game changer of Easter work, it out, work itself out in my stuff? Lucy, do you want to work your way down? Can we have the microphone for Lucy, please, Paul? A couple of weeks ago, Alan was talking about adoption and coming into, come see here, sweetheart, a living, breathing awareness of what that means for us so that we move from being out there people to held in here people. Paul picked up those themes last week when he read through Ephesians chapter 1. Which Lucy, want, Lucy wanted to help. Come on, sweetheart. I'll hold the microphone. You read the words. Okay. Hang on. Is it on? Go. I mean, not the God of all it is Christ. The Father of glory. And we give you a spirit of wisdom, revelation as... Come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the, the hope to which he has called you, or what the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. And what is the miserable witness of his power? For us who believe according to the work of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised from the dead a dinner team at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule, authority <coughs> and power and dominion and above every name but it's named not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he is put all things under his feet. And has made him to the head of all things of the church, which is his body, which of him who was in all in all. Well done, Lucy. some big words in there. God is pointing us all, us as church, to a place of intimacy. He has been for a few decades now. This isn't new news. A couple of decades in the scheme of God's time is very short. So it's new news in the whole scheme of things. God is wanting to return us to that place of intimacy that Adam and Eve lost. And we've seen glimpses of right down through history. But he doesn't want glimpses of what intimacy looks like. He wants intimacy. 
And for some, I appreciate that's fearful. But when intimacy is understood as the wonderful, secure, empowering, uplifting, enabling, da 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 thing it is, it's something we run towards. And it's only our own brokennesses, understandable that we have them, that make us go, ooh, that's a fearful thing. And that intimacy was best seen in Jesus. And that's why Easter is the ultimate game changer. Because instead of there being glimpses, that intimacy is available to absolutely everybody on the planet all the time. We say it, we wish we, wish we lived it. I've written something about what this journey into intimacy may have looked like for someone close to Jesus. I appreciate there are no records on which I've based this. He didn't write a diary that I'm aware of. So hopefully you'll allow me a bit of grace in my speculation. We'll hear the Resurrection Day reading in two versions first. And as you listen to the reading from Luke and then my take on this journey, let Holy Spirit share with you what he's seeking to say to you about seeing life in places you've never seen it, never expected to see it, those wide open places that Mark was seeing. How not to look for the living in the place of the dead, but to see from God's perspective and see life. Paul and then Nick are going to read. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. At the crack of dawn on Sunday, the woman came to the tomb carrying the burial spices they'd prepared. They found the entrance stone rolled back from the tomb, so they walked in. But once inside, they couldn't find the body of their master, Jesus. They were puzzled, wondering what to make of this. Then, out of nowhere, it seemed, two men, light cascading over them, stood there. The women were awestruck and bowed down in worship. The men said, why are you looking for the living one in the cemetery? He's not here, but raised up. Remember how he told you when you were still back in Galilee that he had to be handed over to sinners, be killed on a cross, and in three days rise up. Then they remembered Jesus' words. They left the tomb and broke the news of all of this to the eleven and the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them kept telling these things to the apostles. But the apostles didn't believe a word of it. They thought they were making it all up. Sorry, that was my bacon sandwich for breakfast. 
Last year, Karen treated us to a feast of visual stuff. If you were here last Easter Sunday, there was a lot going on. My creativity goes in a different direction. Reflections of a disciple. He is risen. He is risen. That's what the women declared. It was all change. Again. This Jesus was so hard to grasp. Every time you thought you had a hold on what he was about, who he was, what he was doing, he did something outrageously surprising. And here he was doing it again. Total surprise, totally outrageous. Yes, we'd seen him raise others from the dead, and that was outrageous. Wonderful, don't get me wrong. It was truly wonderful. And like everything else, it messed with our heads and our theology and our understanding of who God is, who God's supposed to be, and what he's supposed to be like. In a good way. Always in a good way. I mean, everything he did was good. Now, the Bible scholars and the priests, well... They didn't quite see it that way, almost every one of them. But us ordinary folk, well, how could we see it as anything but good? He told us God loves us. He told us God will take care of us and that God cares for every last detail of our lives. That we, as subjugated people, he wanted us to have life in abundance in the here and now. And he backed up every word with actions. He wasn't just a load of words, he was words in action. But it all messed with our heads. He messed with my head on the beach. I'd sworn I'd never leave him. And then I ran away like the scariest chicken that had ever lived when the cockerel crowed. As I ran, I gazed back and I saw the deep pain in his eyes at my betrayal. Yet on the beach, he comes up to me and with those same eyes, again gazes deeply into mine and tells me he loves me. Loves me, the one who swore loyalty and then turned and ran. Loves me, the betrayer. And he didn't stop there. No, he asked me to take care of the others. Told me he loves me, a love I could feel in his gaze, which penetrated right down to my gut and made me feel amazing. And then he entrusted the most important task, To me, boy, could he mess with your head. Don't look for the living in the place of the dead. That's what the angel said to the women. Wow, those women. We were all barricaded in our houses, too scared to venture out. And the women, they were the strong ones. They were the ones who were brave enough to go outside, who went to the tomb to prepare him for burial. The women... The joy, the crazy joy, the overflowing joy they brought us as they burst into the room. They were so overjoyed, so excited, so bewildered, so overcome. What unbelievable news. He is risen. Strong or or demented? We couldn't believe it. But something grabbed us inside and we had to check this out for ourselves. Well, you know the story. He wasn't there. The grave clothes were, but he wasn't. Could the women be right? What was this all about? We found out a bit later that day. He went on messing with our heads again, walked right through the walls like a ghost. He sure freaked us all out. One moment, just us ten, quivering, bewildered, lost and frightened. Next moment, the room fills with light, glory, peace. And there he is, 
messing with our heads again. Clearly not dead. Clearly very much alive. How could this be? He did enlighten us. He told us everything he'd already told us. How we must die as a sacrifice for sin. That made him the firstborn from the dead, he said. And thus we could be born again. Just like he told us he'd already told Nicodemus. And so if we were born again, we could be his brothers. There he was again, messing with our heads. It took us ages to begin to understand what all that meant. In fact, we needed an arch enemy of ours, Saul, to get born again and start working on it before we all began to get it. Boy, could he mess with our heads. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the gate of the sheepfold. I am the light of the world. I am this, I am that. I'm all you need. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. I pray that you be as one as he and I are one. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll come back and take you there. I'll send another one exactly like me to lead you into all the hard to understand stuff that I've shown and told you. Miracles. You'll do miracles. Me? Simple fishermen do miracles. And not just like the ones I've done, he said, but even greater. Even greater, he raised people from the dead. He turned water into wine, and cracking good stuff it was too. He walked on water. He spoke to the fatal storm, and it stopped, just like that. He took two fish and five loaves, head messing. He did it all the time. Don't look for the living in the place of the dead. Don't look for the life of the kingdom of God in all the old, worn-out places. Look in the eyes of the adulteress who was loved and accepted. Look in at the boozer where the drunks and down-and-outs are told good news and it changes their lives. Look into the houses of the rich who tread on people to get to where they've got to and see Jesus speak life-changing words to them. Look at the soldiers who killed him and the grace and gentleness he showed to them. Don't look for the living in the place of the dead. He looked at the same people, situations, and bad stuff we looked at, and he saw things differently. He saw gold, treasure in people. He saw value in everyone. He saw life where we saw death. Life-changing. That's what it was to be around him. And then this, the man who spoke and dealt life brought back to life, changing our perspective again on what life looks like. Life in all of its abundance, he said. I'm beginning, all these years later, I'm beginning to grasp what he meant. If I can see with his eyes, then I can see life in everything. I think that's it anyway. I'm still trying to work it out, what it means to know that he is risen. But this is certain. He has risen. And something else I've come to understand. Can't say I've fully grasped it yet, but it's a new thing since Jesus went to heaven. That God in heaven is my father, my daddy. That weird us out too when Jesus introduced that concept. That this fearsome God we'd grown up knowing about could actually be approached as daddy. That we could know him as intimately as that but it's true the new covenant jesus made that passover night it changed everything including how i can know daddy god 
Everything Jesus did was outrageously surprising and messed with our heads. But it always, always, always had life in it. Life in a way we'd never known. And having tasted of this life, this way, this outrageous mess with your head kind of life, I'd never go back. Life in all its abundance. He is risen! Hallelujah! Hallelujah!